ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Pressure is growing on state and federal bureaucracies to bring two Aboriginal children back to Australia after carers took them to the United Kingdom. The children were removed from their mother at a young age and taken on by a British couple, but they were never supposed to permanently move overseas. Their mother wants them to return and has found support in the federal parliament. Karen Little is a Liberal senator for South Australia and is in contact with the children's mother. Karen Little joins us now. Senator, welcome to the program. Uh, Good morning and to your listeners too. We can't identify these children for legal reasons, but what can you tell me about their current situation in the United Kingdom? Well, we know that um, they are teenagers. They are Australian citizens. They have been in the UK with no passports for some time. And they went over to the UK with um, British citizens who did not have Australian citizenship. And uh, that was on the basis that they return, but they haven't done so. Why? Do we know? Look, I guess this case uh, raises many, many questions, but we do know that back uh, before Christmas, uh, I became aware of this case and a read of the judgment uh, makes really quite clear that there are many issues um, surrounding this. But it has taken the government um, five weeks to really get busy on this, which I don't think is quite quite good enough. So uh, the children were supposed to return to Australia in October 2020, but COVID made that impossible. Uh, Borders are open again. You're saying you don't think the federal government's been active enough. What could they do? Well, they've known for more than five weeks that this case um, has moved to the mother um, being successful to have the previous orders rescinded and she has parental responsibility. The job of the Australian government, I believe, it required such coordination with the lead city council, with the New South Wales child protection system, with the New South Wales government, with home affairs, um, uh, quite the Australian consulate, indigenous affairs, foreign affairs. There were so many things that I thought immediately said, um, there's a whole heap of people that need to get involved in this. And right front and centre, because this involved children without passports, was... um, the Australian government. Their mother wants them back. What has she told you about the impact this is having on her? Well, it's, it's huge. I mean, she she was told that she would be able to continue to have some form of contact with the children. In fact, responsibility for doing that was vested in the uh, New South Wales Minister, and that hasn't occurred. And I know I've got to say I'm on a regular contact talking to her through some of this and her keeping me up to date on this. And the contact with her even, I would say, I'd be pretty disappointed if it was me and she is rightly disappointed too. Does she feel like she's in a position where she can take custody of her children again? She she has not indicated that to me. What she does say is these children should have been brought home immediately that the ruling was made so that this can be sorted out on Australian soil. These are Australian citizens first. These are, these are children first and foremost And she wants them back in Australia to sort this issue out on Australian soil. And I think that's a perfectly reasonable request of a mother who's used the court system and the process to activate uh, this outcome. And she believes that, one, despite what's happened in the past with these children, she should have some ability to maintain a relationship, whether it's immediately or in the future. But um, it's up to 
the system and all of those agencies that I talked about, and in particular if and when they do get back here, uh, to ensure that processes are put in place to make as likely as possible some sort of renewal of a relationship. Let's remember these children have been away from this mother and father for a very, very long time. And uh, it's not as simple as the arrival gates just opening and things being okay. Everyone needs to be really sensitive about their role in this and how this is all connected. This must be wholly and solely focused on the interests of the children and making sure that all the rights, including the mothers, are adhered to in this process. So what about the children? Do we know what they want? Well, these, these are children. And, um, you know, as I said, the mother, um, I understand, is trying to establish some contact with them. But um, first and foremost, what she says is they need to come back to this country. They have been away for a very long time and they are teenagers. Deciding who has care for the children is, though, a state responsibility. So what do you want from the federal government here, given the way that our federation works on these issues? Well, see, this is where the whole system for people who are vulnerable becomes complex, whether you're talking about child protection, whether you're talking about the way the Commonwealth gives money to the states. There is um, a responsibility of everyone to do their bit here. And and I would argue that um, the... The courts, when they made their order that said that all the previous orders were rescinded, then vested responsibility back to the parents. The parents have very little capacity to navigate what is required here. And I have been asking myself, how does any of this behaviour reflect what is in the child placement principle, which is relevant to Aboriginal children, but really should be relevant to all children? That's about uh, participation, connection with community, connection with family, um, and and really making sure as best as possible their placement um, is is as good as possible for stability of those children. Just to be clear, do you really support the kingship process? Because uh, your colleague Jacinta Nubajimba Price has challenged that. Of course, that became a really high profile issue last year, saying. She argued that the idea that Indigenous children should always go to, to, you know, the preference should always be kingship um, is the wrong approach. Do do you think that it's the right way to do it? I've always held the position that the right thing is to make sure that children are in the safest place that is possible. Uh, What is not clear for me in this case or in other cases, I would ask the question, what has actually been done to ensure the best possible outcome for the placement of those children um, based on the child placement principle. I want to change the topic, if I can, because there's a huge, huge report out today. The Closing the Gap Agreement on Improving Indigenous Outcomes has been predicted to fail without fundamental changes, according to the Productivity Commission, who wants uh, power sharing in a real way. I spoke to Romilly Mokak a little earlier. This is a pretty stark warning shot. You're saying unless power is properly shared, closing the gap in your assessment will absolutely fail? Um, In in very stark, very blunt terms, um, that's our conclusion. In terms of those areas of -of out-of-home care, of an increase in suicide, of an increase in domestic violence, they're the the ones that I will be particularly looking for in this report because they're the ones that have been going in completely the wrong direction. What I would say is I have been focused all last year, as as has my colleague, Senator Nampajimpa-Price, 
on the programs that are currently being delivered and how they're being delivered and understanding uh, what exactly needs to be done to improve outcomes from the service delivery that is already occurring. I don't believe it's just a case of send more money. It is also a case of uh, more accountability, please. Okay, so do you think that Indigenous organisations should be given more power in a power-sharing arrangement? I think any organisation that receives funding for Indigenous programs uh, needs to be held account for what it's actually delivering, whether they're Indigenous or not. Uh, I've I've just recently returned from some travels uh, interstate um, into some regional and remote areas, and there are some really good organisations delivering programs to in Indigenous people. You even have in some of the some of those areas a non-Indigenous organisations delivering programs, particularly in the DV area, where 95% plus of their clients are Aboriginal people. The Productivity Commission says that part of the failure is because there isn't real power sharing. So do you think there needs to be legal reform to allow for proper power sharing? Well, I want to understand what that look like in terms of power sharing. Is, is that decision making about how much money is allocated, where it's allocated, for whom it's allocated? Um, I'm, I'm just not sure what they actually mean by power sharing. I did, I did have a brief look at that Productivity Commission report. Um, but, you know, there are, there are some things in there that I thought, well, that's very interesting. Um, I've been thinking about those for some time. But I, I still go back to, in the end, it is actually about accountability of the funding, whomever it is delivered by. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. That's Liberal Senator for South Australia, Karen Little. You're listening to ABC RN Breakfast. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations, live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.